Ready? Ready. Welcome to the Chris and Katie podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Katie. Thanks for listening. Okay. Hi. You guys all just missed. I pressed record a little bit too late because Chris just sang interrupt me. And if you're all wondering what the heck that means. Please elaborate. It's when I say, please don't drop anything on the floor as we record today. And he cut me off and said, Chris, do you want to say it? No, I do not. Okay. You basically, in a high pitch, said, okay. Okay. I definitely did not have that tone. It was much better. Well, you wouldn't replicate it, so I did it for you. All right. Let's, um, what... What do you want to talk about today, Catherine? Well, one, I'm regretting not doing this directly after the event in waiting week. But here we are. It's I just went to a... <laughs> what? I want to talk about my event that I went to last week called 2X. And it is an event that's held by a company called the hustle which you can sign up for their newsletter if you want is that the hustle.com <laughs> why are you laughing because you're slowly pushing the mic closer and closer to me because you're talking very quietly okay i'm just trying to help you out subtly but you brought it up so now it here here it is you open the can <laughs> all right so we went to this design event and it was um me and a couple of coworkers. Basically, they have this one event held in like, numerous big cities across the country. Who's the... Who's they? The Hustle. The Hustle. Hustle.com? The Hustle.com. Okay. It says, here at The Hustle, we tell people like you what they need to know. It's not a calling, vocation, or anything that dramatic. This wasn't a parting of the, he- parting of the heavens. We're, we summarize the news, making it bite-sized, fun, and easy to understand. At a glance, that's what that is. And it's made up, it's a team made up of men and women. All ages. Looks like they're mostly younger. The Hustle, their slogan is almost world famous. <laughs> yeah, close, because we didn't even know it and you went there. Right. So it looks like it's just a, a website and a blog and they, they do talks about certain topics. And when you went um, is what we're going to talk about and what you experienced. Right, so... They had a, a special event that they've been holding um, in major cities across the country. They've been in, they've been in San Francisco, LA, Atlanta, uh, like Austin, Texas, all of those places. And finally, they came to New York City, which is why I ended up going with a a group of people from work. One of which um, is a part of the hustle as far as getting their news feeds, and that's how she learned about it, and she shared it with the rest of us. So I didn't really know anything prior to it. I kind of just oh. went with coworkers who knew more about it. Oh, that's cool. Right. So we went um, to the SVA Theater off of 23rd Street and 6th Avenue for any of you who are in the New York City area. And it was really cool. Basically, they had 10 people, 10 women rather, tell their stories of success and... They all had a lesson intermixed in their talk, but the tricky thing was there were 10 people and they had a 10 minute time limit for when they went up there. 
So it was super fast, and you had the um, the host of it kind of open up the, the show, tell you what you would expect, and then you don't hear from the moderator um, until the very end. So it's basically, she talks about what you expect, she introduces the first person, the first person comes up, te- does their talk in 10 minutes, and the next person comes up to the stage, introduces themselves, and does their 10-minute spiel. And that happens for... 10 people total total so it's really interesting and engaging and there's not a lot of lull or awkward like moderator like when are they going to get to the point they're very short concise stories that are um, repetitious and and rather vast in as far as um like talks and who like what woman's talking and what their topic is yeah it's like a vast majority of them are very very different from the next person like they had speakers from Warby Parker. So they, there was an HR um, higher up in, in HR who was speaking about her experience as an Asian American, which she doesn't, she doesn't ever identify as that and she would never use those words to describe herself. But when people see her, um, that's, and she brought light to that. Um, that's what people say, like, oh, you're Asian American and, you know, they don't know if she is going to have an accent or not and all these things. And she kind of talked about her story. And one of the main takeaways from her talk was being able to describe herself in a way that was completely unique. And she's learned that over time. So she's probably in her 40s. She was saying, you know, if someone asked me, can you describe yourself, especially being an HR um, person? you know you get that question a lot it's like can you describe yourself in a couple of sentences sure i'm positive i try and look at life with you know half cup full um all these things but she started to realize that someone else could take that exact description and she wanted to have her own description that would only be her because there's only one of her and in the world just like the rest of us So that was a really good talk, and she just challenged everyone to to think of themselves um, in a unique way and to pinpoint qualities and characteristics that make up you and only could make up you. Yeah. That's good advice. What were were some other talks? Um, There were some other talks about uh, imposter syndrome, which we wanted to talk about. So Mm. there was a woman from Israel who said that they Hollywood came to um, her area and were looking for young blonde girls to play the daughter of the main actress who was blonde. And they basically asked a, a nearby school, which she happened to attend at, and the principal gave out all of the information t- for all the little girls who were blonde, which... She was joking and said that there was some security measures that should have been happening with that. But lo and behold, she ended up going to audition and she ended up getting it the part. And she said, you know, why don't we live like a child again? Like I had no, I had no fears. I I thought I could do it. And I, you know, I had to go to a couple different auditions and she didn't tell her mom about it because she was getting babysat by her older siblings and she she figured everything out. She figured out the carpool. She went with a friend who was going and stuck with them. And like she did everything on her own to make sure everything was fine. And she did it fearlessly. And she was saying that, you know, over time, 
the world starts to weigh on you mm-hmm. and you start to become insecure about this thing and that thing. And she just wants to tell the story of living like a child again, living like a childlike mentality. She was talking about how she's had imposter syndrome when she's come to the U.S. to work and she almost feels as though she doesn't deserve you know, the title or the opportunity or there's someone else that's better at what she's doing than her. And, and granted, she was a founder or executive of the company that she was representing. It was just interesting to hear these thoughts from someone who was successful. And I've definitely had my fair share of imposter syndrome. And it's just about feeling like there's someone better out there to do your job. and But yet you're here and you were just kind of fearing subconsciously that you're going to get found out somehow. Like, It's like the belief that you think you're an imposter and you don't fit in or you think that you don't belong. Right. And if they find out, then they'll know that you don't belong there. Mm-hmm. Like, you're an imposter. You're a spy. But, um, yeah, that's the exaggeration of the idea. But, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I think that over the last couple of weeks, I've definitely felt that way um, at my job even because it's like by trade, like what, what I went to school for and what I've been educated well, on is being a graphic designer. And lately we've been working on projects that aren't necessarily directly relating to graphic design. You know, it might be skewing toward e-commerce or skewing toward marketing, skewing toward retail and and it's almost like because it's not exactly graphic design, I start to feel like, do I know the best route? Do I know what I'm doing? Well, a little context to that, too, is we're not in Michigan anymore. And you are alone as a graphic designer here. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't have anyone to turn to. You don't have anyone to. So you, you kind of have to grow up quick. You don't have anyone to look up to and say, hey, you're a graphic designer. I'm sure you know what I'm doing, like yeah, how I, have I to, feel. I have to like watch my own back basically because my whole team is comprised of different educations and different backgrounds. I'm kind of the, the graphic design um, representative for our group. And so I have to be comfortable and be flexible and agile with what I know and how I can apply it to different mediums or different circumstances and and so I could definitely relate to that. I'm still struggling with combating that idea. Idea of what? Of just feeling like an imposter. I feel like just because you're, you went to school for graphic design it, and it's not an exact graphic design project, I still feel like we should feel empowered to just bring a new perspective to the idea and kind yeah. of do our due diligence and research and and kind of combine the two the two being the new thing and your your trade what you're educated on what you do on a day-to-day basis and try and marry those as best as possible but yeah I definitely feel like there's imposter syndrome there and it, it probably can sometimes seem like in the eyes of of people who may be doing a different job than me like, oh, she she has the opportunity to work on special, quote-unquote, special projects. They might think highly of me in that regard because I'm not working on 
quote unquote graphic design related projects. I'm working on more visionary dreamlike things. Mm-hmm. In their eyes, it might seem like a really awesome opportunity. And I have like a secret that no one else has. And, but in reality, I'm, you know, self-conscious about what I can bring to the table. And I need that affirmation from my team and I need the results to show. Yeah. Well, I think it's because you're young. You don't have the confidence to know that what you're doing is 100% true because there's a difference between being like self-doubting and just lacking the confidence because if you were to just be confident, they would listen to you because you're the only one. They have no one else to question. Mm-hmm. And you are, you do, you do know the most despite what they, how they make you feel or if they make you feel a certain way um, because they're say older, but mm-hmm. you do know more than they do mm-hmm. about graphic design. Yeah. You've been doing it for, for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years right 10 years but it's like that's a long time if you think about it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you might think oh but 10 years graphic design i mean photoshop illustrator that doesn't count it does count because i don't know how to use those things yeah more about those programs in high school than i do know than i know now right but it's not about see the thing is i think i'm successful in portraying confidence yeah i'm successful in that but behind it all, there is the thought in the back of my head that feels like, do I know the best? I think. Am I equipped? And so it's an internal thing rather than them thinking I'm not equipped. It's it's more so an internal. Because because I do feel like mm-hmm. I it, I am respected for what I do mm-hmm. within my team, and my opinion is res- respected, but. I can't help but to get past the internal thoughts that I have. Like, this is such a big role to fill. Am I the best person? Am I doing enough? Am I researching enough? Am I, you know? So I think that everyone has those thoughts. Even the biggest people, even like Jerry Seinfeld. He's like, then these people, they just get to a certain point where they don't question themselves. They don't say, am I the funniest? You know, am Mm -hmm. I doing enough? They just accept it. You know, I'm trying my best. I'm, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. Like they don't, I don't picture him admitting, admitting that he's the funniest ever, but he'll say, you know, I've, I've had some good jokes. Like that's it. You know, you've had some good designs. You don't, you don't have to question whether you're the best for that position. There's always someone better, but if you have the confidence, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try my hardest. If it's not the best, then at least I went out and I tried my mm-hmm. hardest. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of the the whole premise behind having these speakers is to show these women who are high up and they all have, you know, chief executive titles or co-founder or whatever the title may be. They have these, these credible titles but yet they are talking about their insecurities and they are talking about the fact that like no matter how successful you get you're always going to think not negatively but you're always going to wonder and 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 push yourself sometimes it's motivating to think those thoughts because never do you want to be at the top of the hill and think well i made it i'm just going to chill out here 
Yeah. If you think that, that's when you become complacent and that's when you fall behind. Mm-hmm. That's when you fall down the hill. Yeah, I'm, I'm more interested in hearing, you know, everyone says it's good to fail and you learn more from your failures. And I think that that's definitely true, but it's easier said than done. And I feel like these thoughts of imposter syndrome and not feeling, ad- feeling adequate enough, I think a lot of those come when there's critique or there might be a bump in the road. And I think that's sort of what brings those thoughts to the surface. It's like when things are good, they're good and you feel confident. But as soon as there's a bump or a critique that isn't necessarily all things positive, then you start to say, oh no, like does this one project define me and my capabilities? And at the time it feels like that. It feels like, oh my gosh, if this is failing or if this Mm -hmm. is not the best that it could be, Mm -hmm. then that's a reflection on me. Yeah. And I don't want to lose credibility for all the hard work I've done and all the successes I have had because of this one thing that's happening now. But, but that's an internal thought. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that that's what could happen. I think, I think having those questions every so often is very beneficial for your well-being because if you con- say you're running and you think you're the fastest person alive and you're running the fastest and then every mile or every couple miles someone passes you and you're like wait what is this and then you you want to ru- then you end up running twice as fast mm-hmm. just to get by them. Mhm. Um, this is assuming that you're out in front, but you know, <laughs> of a race, but that, that defeat, that small defeat makes you work twice as hard. Right. And I think that's in any, any field at all. Mm-hmm. It could be, you could be digging holes and you could see someone digging holes more than you. And it, it you know, it kills your self-esteem, but what you do with that defeat, it's what defines you. Mm-hmm. It's either you retreat or, you know, you, you keep going. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's all about like resilience and grit. And um, just enjoying what you do too. So mm-hmm. it's like you could fail, but as long as you enjoy it, then it it doesn't hurt your ego that much. Yeah. Like, well, and that's the thing too. It's like I, I, I think one of my biggest fears is coming off defensive, especially as a graphic designer. But it's finding that balance of being defensive and versus sticking up for your design or being clear about what you meant. And I think that's a very fine line. And and that's what I've talked to you too about before. It's there's that. And then there's also being young and being respectful. So as, as someone who's younger in her late twenties, which sounds crazy to think about late (laughs) twenties, But I want to be more vocal, be more adamant, be more passionate, be more sure of myself in all the good ways. But I think being young, there's this added filter you need to kind of put your words through because you don't want to come off like you're defensive or that you're a young know-it-all or that... Mm -hmm oh, sh- they they never think they're wrong or whatever. It's like you have to, it's like such a weird spot to live in. You have to be in that balance of 
confident yet respectful. Right. Well, I mean, th- when you're younger, you're supposed to just soak everything in. In like, no one wants someone who uh, no one wants to know it all. No one wants to see a young know it all. But when you, the older you get, I mean, even managers say you're the leader of a C or like a company or a CEO. No one wants that guy to be a Mm know-it-all. You know what I mean? So there's a difference between being a know-it-all. Okay, but leaders, I know there's a difference, but there's also a very fine line that can teeter you into being in the know-it-all bucket versus the confident bucket because employees don't want know-it-alls, but employees want people who are are passionate and who are confident. And so you, there's this line you're kind of balancing on. So you want to make sure you're balancing that just right because one wrong move and you will fall into one of those buckets. And, I, and that's, that's more what I'm talking about. I, I think there is a clear distinction between those two things, but those are qualities you always hear. Like, you should speak up more. You should. Uh, that, that, was some, that was a comment that was on... Um, so we do yearly reviews, mid-year reviews, all of those. And that was one of the things that I was talked to about, like, voice your opinion more. You know, we, we value, um, like, a youthful point of view, uh, all these things. And, and I've also heard that just in critiques within my team. It's like, I want you to tell me why. Or I want you to communicate to me and articulate why you like that idea why you don't and i think also adding to the fact not to like be super political about it but i also think being a woman defines how you come off with certain certain sentences like i've spoke my mind maybe a couple of times i feel like the response isn't like wow that's very good she's improving (laughs) I feel like it's, whoa, like, why, like, why do you, why are you making such a big deal? Or why are you, I don't know, it persisting. And, and so I can feel the bucket I'm being put into with those actions. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, I've held back and I've not said anything or I've, not stuck up for my design or my decision and I kind of just listened and been told you need to say things more directly and then when I do that you know months later it's like whoa well I think they think that because you don't do it very often so if you do it on a whim it's like whoa this is weird but if you did it every day it would just be like oh that's Katie again yeah, but even that's a fine line because you don't want to pull that card out all the time because then the right. what, the you, intent behind it is moot. Right. You don't want to do that. So it has to be for an extreme case. But like I'm, I'm learning slowly that in order to do anything in life, you have to be a salesman. You have to sell, sell your idea. You have to communicate. So if they're telling you that to articulate your thoughts and sell your idea – it's like it just because they're within your team, it, they they are going to be skeptical too, just like anyone else in the world. Yeah, but 
that still doesn't I'm just trying to that this is the unfortunate thing is I think that there's no clear answer I, th I think that a lot of it is about um I don't know researching I mean we, we need to read some books about how to combat this so I think a lot of it's your environment and you can't help what people think or jump to conclusions but I definitely think that being young is hard with you know acting like a leader because it doesn't come off like acting like a leader you know nine times out of ten yeah. you have to you have to be very selective with how you say things the tone even the words you use every single thing and then hopefully as we get older we don't have to think like that well I I think it's it just gets easier because when you're young you're not used to it you're not work you, you haven't been in a work environment that requires that and you're in high school but you don't talk in high school in college everyone's just like wearing sweats to class but in the work environment it's totally different I don't think you don't have to worry about it I think you just it becomes second nature it becomes easier for you yeah but I also think that there is unconscious bias to your age and your title and how the words you say are perceived Okay. And that's the struggle of, I, I of being that. young. I believe that. And that's the struggle of not only being young, but being a young woman. Okay. Say if, if it's level, if it's an even playing field for everyone, then everyone can empathize with that at some age. So if, if that's the case, then either... Not if your team is all male. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. It's like you have to fight extra against it. Mm-hmm. And it's a struggle, but eventually it won't be all male and, but you'll still, you'll be stronger because of it. And that's the whole, that's like the, that's the whole idea of them, of like questioning your skills. You try harder because you think you're failing, but then you end up being twofold better. Mm -hmm. So you, didn't you mention that you want to talk about imposter syndrome a little bit? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I do. I have an imposter syndrome. But I use it, I try to use it as motivation because when I start something new, I'm extremely focused because I have imposter syndrome and I don't want to act like I'm like a failure. I want to blend in as much as I can. So I try harder and I've realized this. I realized that my, like my level is a little bit higher. So I try to maintain that, that level, that, threshold. that, the, that level I came in at for a new job because it's like I started out really good. I got offered a job, but then I don't want to go into like a rut. Well, you should talk about specifically why you were um, so gung-ho about it because it started out as an internship and you could kind of see the opportunity at the end of that tunnel that you could possibly get hired in. So you had a lot of motivation to get well, to the next level and you don't want to lose that even though there may not be a next level. Well, I, I didn't have a job for a while here. So I got a job in the city. And it was just an internship, but I was like, I'll take it. I, you know, this is going to be a good opportunity. I get to work in the city. It's something that I enjoy. I've been working at um, because I didn't go to school. Well, I went to school for a year, but I've been just, you know. Well, you went to school full I went time to, for I something okay. else. I went to school full time, switched careers, um, went back to school for a year, web development, got into it, came to New York and... I was struggling to find a job, found one, internship, 
So I worked really hard for that internship. And they're like, after like a month, two months, they're like, yeah, this guy's good. We need him. Hire him on before the end of his three-month internship is over. And I was like, that's awesome. Um, and you and didn't know that. Was that was my imposter syndrome. And I was just grateful for having that position. Mm-hmm. But they didn't look at it as someone who had imposter syndrome and was grateful. They looked at it as someone who had drive and motivation. Like they wanted to keep someone with those qualities here. And you didn't know that they wanted to hire you on until they started seeing that drive from you, um, which they took as motivated employee. But the internal drive was insecurity almost. Yeah, the, the, the imposter in me. Yeah. So now that I know that, so I try to maintain that mentality every day. If I forget it once in a great while, mm-hmm. I just I try to come back to it and just continue. Remember what it used to be. Remember your crappy life. That's that's why I think people who struggle and they f- find just a glimpse of greatness that they're not going back because they do not want that life again. Mm-hmm. And our life wasn't bad by any means, but. You had a good job. I saw it, and I, I wanted a good job. Some people dread going to work every day, like a steady job, and I'm grateful for it. You know, maybe in 20, 30 years, I'll hate it, but not right now. So right. I'm grateful for it, so I want to continue. Right, and I think another thing that we've been talking about, which you may have to remind me of where we heard this, but we... Basically, we had heard something about um, being thankful for any anything that comes your way and, and kind of reforming a negative situation and seeing something positive in it. And so this is a great example of turning an insecurity, so a negative insecurity or a negative imposter syndrome or negative doubts uh, into an opportunity and a push toward motivating yourself that could propel you further than you think yeah because the insecurity is all internal the external performance that you're you're kind of pushing toward is is only seen as performance and drive by others and being insecure is totally different than uh self self self-loathing like you don't want to say i'm not good enough you just want to know that you might not be the best like you can improve, but you're just not there yet. Like that's a great point. Two years ago, I knew nothing about any like HTML websites. Nothing. I I didn't even know like the file structure of a computer. I mean, I knew how to use a computer, but I, I totally from the ground up. Right. You'd had no idea about the fundamentals of computer coding, let alone. I didn't. I didn't even know it html was or what it stood for i mean i saw your your code when you were in school mm-hmm. and it was it was like a thousand lines of html and i was just oh, what is this now i know you know react javascript i know all these things in two years node it's like all of these things and it's popular right now and there's a lot of documentation on the internet so that makes it very easy to learn but there's a need for it. So I, you know, I jumped on a little later than a lot of people. I didn't go to school for it, but it's like, I never like doubted myself. There, there were times where I, 
it was really hard, but I just thought I'm just going to keep going <laughs> and just hope that I get a little bit better. And when I look back last year, that wasn't that long ago. I didn't really know jQuery, which is another, you know, JavaScript. But now it's like, how did I not know this last year? Hmm. But it's good. It's nice to look back on things. And I'm sure last year you've come a long way. Yeah, that's true. In, with, in your job. And yeah. that's always nice to look back on. Yeah. I but think in the moment, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, I think specifically with me, it's been articulating my ideas and speaking up. And not getting overwhelmed by pushback during a conversation and just backing down. It's been, I'm going to push through this conversation. It's going to be fine. And it's going to make me think harder and anticipate what people could possibly tell me. Uh, so going back to what you were talking about with self-loathing is not the same as insecurity. Yeah, insecurity. Because insecurity is one thing, but there's still the potential to change or to improve in some way. I was just listening to the podcast by Robin Sharma. So you can go to robinsharma.com and he has a lot of different articles and podcasts about mastery. He was talking about the five pillars of mastery. And one of them was not being the victim, but being the, I can't remember what the positive word was, honestly, but it was about not being the victim, but being the... A superhero? Yeah, maybe it was a superhero. That's a good opposite. Yeah, actually, I think it might have been the superhero because he was talking about not giving your powers to the negative. So he, he basically was saying, you know, the self-loathing versus insecurity thing. People who are on autopilot, they have all these, like, core beliefs, and that's what's so important about knowing what your core beliefs are because you're on autopilot you're always going to revert back to them so because he told the story about running into somebody who was talking to him like oh hey i really love you like like all the stuff that you put out because he's semi-famous and he's like oh yeah well if you like my stuff you should check out this book and it wasn't his book it was someone else's book and the first thing the guy asked was how much is it hmm so one of so he said right when he said that, I wanted to say, what? This book I recommend to you because it could change your life. It could, it could really motivate you. It could change the trajectory of where you're going, where you're headed, or give you the fuel you need to keep going. And you ask me how much it is? Yeah. You know, it's a $20 book. But that tells me his core belief is all about money. How much is it? And that's the victim mentality saying, oh, I can't do it because I don't have enough money. Oh, I can't do it because I don't have enough time. I can't do it because I'm so busy. Yeah. Or I can't do it because I'm average and they're not paying me to do this. So why would I even attempt unless I get paid for it or unless blah, blah, blah. And that's the victim mentality is you know, all this stuff is happening to you and you have this barrier you can't get past in order to do it. So I'm out. And there is the 1% out there who pushes through that and says, I'm not going to give you my superpower to grow in knowledge because a book is $20. I'm not going to have you stop me from going to a seminar because I don't have time. 
I'm going to prioritize things and get around this barrier you call time and make time for something that is going to be a great investment in my life. And that's all about seeing the potential. And it's all about being in the present and doing all you can now. And so there's a few thoughts that are going around in my head, um, a couple different directions, but one of them is not living in the past because you can't change the past. And we talked about this in another podcast about anxiety and how anxiety is lives in the future. Like, oh, what about this in the future? What if I get lost? What if, you know, the, the computer breaks down or whatever? And, you know, the now is what's important. And if we can have micro wins in our life and say, you know what? I'm going to schedule a 15-minute meeting with myself to get inspired. And now that I scheduled that meeting today and I'm used to doing it every Monday, then maybe I'll start doing it on Tuesday. Or maybe I don't need a reminder anymore. Maybe it's just ingrained in me. It's all about those micro wins to propel you to become habitual in, in positivity. Did you have anything to add? You look like you're thinking. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot to take in. But when I think of habits, habits are what run, what I try to run my life. And I've heard that people that are extremely busy, they they have habits. That's the only way they can get so much stuff done. It's because they, they do the same thing every day. And it takes away that thought that thought process that is just a waste of a wasted energy that, through their brain. If you eat oatmeal every day, that's one less thing you have to think about for breakfast. It's like you don't even have to think about it. It's like brushing your teeth. You wake up, you brush your teeth. If you had to wake up every day and like say you did everything backwards, you would be so confused by 10 o'clock. You, you would wonder what's happening in your day. <laughs> Like, it sounds horrible to me. And I used to think I was boring because I love habits. I love doing the same thing every morning, waking up, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, drink some water, work out, then make coffee, and then go to work. It's like I have it down because it's – but then I realized that is like a small superpower. It's – I have my morning planned out every day. But when I doesn't work out – I get cranky <laughs> and I get like thrown off. I'm like, what's happening here? I didn't work out this morning. I didn't like, I don't need coffee, but it's like, I, I didn't brush my teeth. I didn't, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's almost like you're now your brain has to work harder to fix the malfunction that happened. Yeah. And it's, it's energy that you wish was going towards something productive rather than something that's been habitual and it's like that that's the only way to get things done i've realized if you want to be more productive you need habits the hardest part is is creating those habits take they say it takes like 30 days to do something um i wake up now you know i'm sure you remember when i didn't run every every day or i didn't work out every morning i was like working out at night i didn't know what i was doing but all i knew is i wanted to do that every day and make it a habit and now, now I don't think about it. Um, and now I want to, like my nighttime is totally, it's like up in the air always because I don't know what's going on. It's, it's harder to do because you work all day and then you come home. I've realized I, we make dinner every time I get home because I get home after you. It doesn't matter what time it is. It's always the first thing we do is make dinner. 
I can get home at eight. I can get home at seven. <laughs> Six. Yeah, that's very It's true. like dinner first. So it's so now that I know that I'm gonna try to plan something after that time, or at say nine o'clock every night. And starting tonight, I'm gonna make a new habit. Starting tonight, just like what Tim Ferriss said about the the flossing your two front teeth, the just small goals. I'm gonna read one page a night. Out of a book. Out of a book. One book that I'm trying to read, trying to finish, because I set a goal, 12 books through the year, that's one book a month. First month, barely did it, <laughs> barely got by. <laughs> I might have skipped the ending, or like the, what, the prologue and the, uh, what's at the end? I don't know. But now, February, didn't read at all. March, so <laughs> <Not> March, <once. laughs> March, this book I've been wanting to read, now it's midway through March, Still haven't read this book. So it's two months that I couldn't get one book done. So now I'm throwing out that, that out the window. I'm going with one book, one page and one book a night in hopes that I'll be intrigued and I'll read more. And if I read five, ten minutes a night before bed or whenever I try to implement this as a habit, I'll need to do it in order to go to sleep. And that's go. how habits are made. Let's go! <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's also how the best way to do goals because let's face it, the 12 the 12 books in a year, that's a new year's resolution. That's not necessarily a goal. Goal is starting small and building up. So, I think that that was a good realization. So, so we're going to end on that note and just remember that you can turn an insecurity or anything negative into a positive or see a positive in it. And always be pushing yourself and believe in yourself that's a big one yeah. even though you see might the potential be, even though you might be insecure just believe what you're doing is true and right and look back in a year and you'll see 